This is episode 71. Time for another episode of All Hazards. Disaster response. From firefighters to law enforcement to lawyers. Anytime we have a disaster, the first thing on our mind is, is the governor going to need to proclaim? And if so, what needs to be included in that proclamation? Attorneys aren't among the usual suspects when you think of those involved in emergency response. But they are critical to the process. What would happen without their counsel? As an attorney, you issue spot, you navigate, you problem solve. These are all the things you do. And so it's hard to fathom the specific thing that could happen, um, other than it would give me major heartburn to even think about. <laughs> their counsel navigates a road to recovery full of legal obstacles from a whole of community approach. You've got to get the, the local economy back, but you have got to get a sense of normalcy to families, and you've got to get students in, in seats. We sit down with Cal OES Chief Legal Counsel, Alex Powell, right now. All right, so with me in the studio today is uh, Alex Powell. He is uh, Chief Counsel for Cal OES, the legal eagle here at uh, the state agency for the Office of Emergency Services. Alex, good to have you here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. I think a lot of people don't really fully understand the role that legal plays when it comes to not only the day-to-day -day operations of an agency like Cal OES, but uh, especially when we have um, disasters or emergencies, there are a lot of legal issues that need to be tackled. Before we get into that, though, I want to find out a little bit about uh, Mr. Alex Powell and where you came from before you came to Cal OES. How long have you been here now? Uh, so I've been here just over six years. I started in um, October 2013. Okay, so you've been here a little bit. You've seen your share of disasters. We have had a, a busy six years, that's for sure. So where were you before you came here in 2013? Uh, so I was here in town uh, working at a private law firm uh, doing civil litigation, uh, but not emergency management related. Civil litigation. Do you have any big cases? Uh, not big, high profile cases, yeah. but lots of uh, smaller cases. Right, yeah. right. But that got you ready. That got you ready for this. Now, granted, you're not uh, going in front of a judge you know, every week, but uh, you do have uh, Mark Ghilarducci. I do. Go He's in front of. The ultimate judge. That's the correct. ultimate judge. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but a fair one. A That's fair right. one at that and very, uh, very knowledgeable as well. So uh, I, I get the sense uh, when you came in today, you looked at my shirt and I saw the kind of look on your face like, hey, what is this Boston Red Sox stuff? What's up with that? I get the sense too that uh, you're not from here. I am not. I am uh, from New Jersey originally. <laughs> uh, obviously not a fan of the Red Sox. Uh, I'm a Yankees fan. So. I'm, I'm here to intimidate you, That's sir. <laughs> Uh, not that, uh, a red, um, I guess little red riding hood sweatshirt, a hoodie with the Red Sox logo on it isn't going to intimidate you, but, uh, it will certainly distract you, I think. It might. Well, this is going to put your skills to the test. All right. So, uh, how did you get into emergency management? Yeah. So it's sort of a, a, a funny story. I never even knew that there was really a, a legal world in emergency management. Didn't know much about it. And, um, I just happened to be back home in New Jersey in 2012 and uh, visiting family and Hurricane Sandy hit. And kind of like with any storm that came and, and you know, hurricanes came when I was a kid, you don't really expect it to be that bad. And they said it was bad and it never really ended up being too bad. But uh, Sandy ended up being really bad. And um, we were there for about three or four days. Um, luckily my family's uh, home was fine, but there was a lot of flooding and prolonged power outages. And yeah. we eventually left, uh, got down to DC and we were able to fly out uh, back home to California. And I remember thinking, you know, seeing pictures of the devastation throughout New Jersey where I grew up and, and seeing the boardwalk and 
thinking, how do you, uh, how do you overcome that? What do you do? How do communities rebound? And, um, a few months later, back here in Sacramento, I saw an opening here at, at, uh, at the time Cal EMA and, uh, for, for an attorney position. And I just thought I've got to, I've got to get in. There, there was something about it that drew me in and, uh, obviously very happy that I did. Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you here. And you recently, uh, became chief counsel. So I, uh, took on the acting position in January of 18, uh, appointed by Governor Brown in August of 18, and then reappointed by Governor Newsom. So congratulations on that. Thank you. All right. So in the world of emergency management, a lot of legal issues come up um, all the time. But I want to focus on the disasters and emergencies, maybe some of the more recent ones that we've had. What are some of the the routine things that the legal department faces when we are activated for an emergency? Sure. I, th- I think first and foremost, the, you know, our team is tasked with drafting the governor's proclamations of the state of emergency and any subsequent executive order. So uh, anytime we have a disaster, the first thing on our mind is, uh, is the governor going to need to proclaim? And if so, what needs to be included in that proclamation to ensure that the communities can, can adequately respond to and recover from that event? Where do you get that information? So you kind of draw off of recent events. It's kind of an evolving template if you mm. if you think about it that way. And so there are certain standard provisions that have to be in, and then there are provisions that are unique to that event. And um, and so it's really just a, a dialogue that we have with the operational folks, the response team, knowing what the issues are, and then very quickly, and that's the key part, very quickly um, drafting that for the governor. So you're watching a lot of the correspondence that comes through. You're included on a lot of these emails, the situation reports. But you're also having meetings, I'm assuming, right? right. To, to make sure that you're not leaving something out. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, it's a very fast moving, but it's got to be thorough and accurate. And so, um, yeah, we'll, we're usually looped in on the front end of an event. We know generally how it's evolving. And then um, we'll do a, a very quick, if, even if, if it's an informal meeting with, with the relevant folks, um, including response and, and exec management, and ultimately um, put together a, a final document. You have uh, other attorneys who work with you in your office. Who do you have and how many do you have working with you? Sure. So we've got a a couple of vacancies, but right now we've got um, Assistant Chief Counsel Jennifer Bollinger and Assistant Chief Counsel Stephanie Ogren. And then we have um, several attorneys that work for for us as well. So we have Ryan Gronsky, Meg Wilson, Joy Peng, and uh, Kevin Dollison just started with us as well. Now, do they also have sort of their own specialty or do you divvy things up? How does that work? Uh, we generally divvy things up. I think over time, uh, as the team expands, we will create more um, specialized program areas. However, the caveat to that is, or the or the maybe the, the disclaimer on that is that mm-hmm. even if you are expected to work on a certain portfolio of projects, disasters trump any other day-to-day work. And so um, we will not have assigned teams that will only work disasters or will not work disasters. So um, the idea is that everybody in my team is capable and ready at any moment to assist uh, when the disaster happens, because that's the most pressing issue at the time. Hmm. If you were going to interview some of these candidates to fill these positions that you have open right now, what sort of um, skill sets, tools that are you looking for? to fill those positions? What are you saying to them? I need someone who can do this, this, and this. What are you looking for? Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, it's it's rare that you'll find somebody that has emergency management legal experience, right? There's very few folks out there. So we look to, to folks who can demonstrate an ability to multitask, to shift priorities. I, I kind of joked to bob and weave, mm. right? You don't know what's going to come in any given day. Um, when I do my presentations about disasters, we kind of joke that California is a no-notice state. Unlike a hurricane state where you may have a couple days notice, 
at, at the snap of a finger, we may find out that um, what seemed like a sunny day, you know, normal day is is actually a really bad day, a disastrous yeah. day. So I need I need my my staff to be able to be sharp and on a moment's notice pivot and and uh, attack whatever issues in front of them. Sort of a legal rope a dope. That's exactly it. You know, That's or it. a Tyson attack of some That's kind. That's boom, right. Boom. Yeah. He was the king, by the way, of dodging it. That's right. We'll get right back to our conversation with Cal OES Chief Legal Counsel, Alex Powell, in just a moment. Coming up, where were you when you first heard news of the campfire? Well, even our lawyers responded. And I could tell you exactly where I was the moment I heard about that fire, who called me, and how quickly that proclamation happened. And quite literally, I think it was within minutes. Legal turned on a dime, but it's not for everyone. They're always looking for strong talent. We don't sugarcoat it. I I tell my team that this is probably the most rewarding job you will ever have. Um, It's probably the busiest job and sometimes the most stressful. So if you or someone you know might be a good fit with the Cal OES legal team, let us know. Back to our talk with Cal OES Chief Legal Counsel, Alex Powell. Proclamation is very important, making sure that you get all of the appropriate elements in there. For example, recently, uh, let's say the campfire. What comes to mind when I say the campfire? It's funny. I was just recently watching a special about the campfire and uh, I got five minutes in and I kind of hit pause and took a step back and they talked about the morning of the campfire. Mm -hmm. And I could tell you exactly where I was the moment I heard about that fire, who called me and how quickly that proclamation happened. And quite literally, I think it was within minutes of hearing from Eric Lamoureux that there was a really bad fire in Butte drafting the proclamation. By the time I had drafted that proclamation, we had some more uh, intel on how bad it was mm. and um, things spun up very quickly. So, you know, I don't want to necessarily say it wasn't a panic necessarily, but it was definitely a sense of urgency and a feeling that was quite different than uh, fires we had seen recently. That one, I, I, when you say you knew where you were, I knew where I was. I was in training. We were in the middle of a final exercise and I got a text and all of a sudden my phone just sort of blew up and and I'm watching the development of the acreage growing and growing exponentially almost uh, throughout that morning. And then eventually by 11 o'clock, they said, okay, you're done. You got to go over to the state operations center. A matter of three hours, it grew from something like 200, 300 acres to well over a thousand and beyond. It was incredible. So I can only imagine you're watching the progress of this thing or the, the growth of this fire. Uh, yeah. You knew it was going to be bad. Oh, yeah. I, I think, you know, you defer to the to the folks who have seen who have seen it all. And uh, when you hear, you know, Eric or even the director say this is a bad one, uh, you take that seriously. What were some of the things then that you initially uh, threw into that proc? Uh, some of the things that you knew were going to need to be addressed? Yeah, yeah I don't remember specifically okay. off the top of my head the provisions, but I'm I'm – Sure, knowing that homes were were destroyed, that we have a series of waivers that the governor uh, would consider issuing um, to waive the replacement of vital docs. But typically what will happen is you'll have an initial proclamation that has some kind of standard orders or very quickly can pull together orders that you know are relevant. Um, And then there's kind of a triage period. As the event unfolds and as the operational um, teams kind of come together, you realize what else needs to be done. And then usually a week or two after you'll issue a more comprehensive executive order, which is what the governor did at that time. So um, we knew there was going to be a large debris operation given how many homes were down. Uh, we knew that you know the, many agency, state agencies would have to engage in very quick contracts. So that's a contracting waiver for state agencies is something that we'll see. Um, and I, the idea behind that is that you need to facilitate recovery. And the governor is authorized under the Emergency Services Act to suspend any law that would otherwise 
prevent, hinder, delay mitigation of the effects or impede recovery, right? And so it's a very powerful law, but um, we knew there were going to be a, a whole handful of waivers that were unique to this event, given mm -hmm. how how devastating it was. Okay. You also handle requests, requests uh, that go directly to the president, the federal government. Talk, talk a little bit about that, if you would. Sure. So, you know, the way that the the, the system works is that all, all disasters are local and what's beyond a local's capability, uh, they can request that the state provide assistance. And if it's beyond the state's capability, we as a state can request the federal government's assistance. Those requests come from the governor uh, to the president. So my team works on, on those requests and um, essentially you put together a, a package for uh, for FEMA to to uh, relay to the to the president, and um, it sets forth the 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 event, uh, the issues of the event, how it's beyond the state's capability, and then any other details that we have at that time based on assessments of damages. So seems to me that the more you are exposed to this kind of thing, the better you get at tweaking that template for for these requests definitely. and the procs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you you know, you almost build a it's a muscle memory kind of a thing. It's unfortunate we're in that position, but at least we've got folks that are experienced. Right. That's the thing about California. I mean, we, we're getting really, really good at this yeah. because we've been there and done that time and time again. Yeah. So I just did a presentation yesterday, so numbers are fresh in my head. Um, we've had somewhere around 11 or 12 major disaster declarations since 2014, 11 since 2017. We've had five emergency declarations from the president. All five have come uh, since 2017. Holy so, moly. I mean, to talk about the last two years as, as uh, busy is, a, is really an understatement. Do any of your candidates who come in, do they ever ask about, you know, the, the level of the workload and, and how intimidating that can be? Yeah. And we, you know, um, we don't sugarcoat it. I, I tell my team that this is probably the most rewarding job you will ever have. Um, it's probably the busiest job and sometimes the most stressful, but, but it is rewarding. So, um, you know, when we recruit folks and in an interview, we, we say, listen, you're going to be, there are going to be times inevitably that you are maybe pushed to, to, to what you think is the limit. Um, but to me, it's worth it. Our mission's important. You know, I'm biased, but I think it's the most important mission in state government. What's more important than ensuring the health and safety of Californians, you know? And um, and so uh, we don't sugarcoat it, but we also tell them that this is a job that I think you will find extremely gratifying if if uh, you're up for the challenge. Tell me about the requests for uh, the debris removal. You mentioned that the fact that with the campfire, you knew, and we have since seen, and that's been confirmed, that the debris removal project uh, or need for debris removal was going to be immense. Largest in history, yeah. bigger than the World Trade Center right. in terms of the amount of debris. Um, what challenges has that posed for you? Sure. So debris is extremely complicated project to, to undertake. It doesn't so, seem like it would be, though. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, when you're dealing with, and I should really specify that the default debris is debris from private, or from publicly maintained and owned infrastructure and land. Um the debris projects that we're talking about that requires this public outreach is a private property debris removal program. And that is where um, you have a high concentration and widespread hazardous debris from structural uh, burns, right? And so you have a neighborhood, for instance, where uh, a number of homes have gone down. And um, there are programs both at the state and federal levels that will allow uh, reimbursement for the removal of debris from these private properties. And um, in order to justify the request, you have to show the public that there's a, it's in the public's interest, which again is that there's a threat to the public health and safety, not just to an individual uh, homeowner. And uh, in order to roll out a program like that, you have to first request it, demonstrate the public interest. But the logistics of running out that program, on one side you have the contracting and the operational side, which is very, very complicated. 
I think more importantly, though, you have uh, really your shop, which is that public information and that public outreach. And, um, you know, there are town halls and there are FAQs and there are social media posts. And um, the key is getting the word out and and ensuring that you've got that public trust, right? Because the larger the operation, the more people that opt in, the, the more streamlined, the smoother, the usually the quicker it'll go. And so you've got to put in the work on the front and make sure all the ducks are in a row. People understand what they're opting into. Uh, and then ultimately, you clear that debris. And I, you know, again, we talk about having a muscle memory and build a callus to it. But, um, you know, the all of the campfire debris essentially were less than a year out from the from the uh, the start of that debris removal. I think it was late January of nineteen. And for all intents and purposes, that debris room is removed, and it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. I've I've been there. I've seen the piles, and I've seen what it's gone through. And then if you conceptualize this, and I mentioned it already. The amount of debris that came out of the remnants of the campfire was more than, I think, twice the amount of debris that was generated by the World Trade Center attack. Wow, that's unbelievable. Think about that. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, you know, we talk about kind of superlatives, right? Every event, yeah. every fire is the largest or the most devastating. And um, in the past two years, we saw the North Bay fires, which at the time was over 5,000 homes, I think. It was unprecedented. We had never seen that, right? It, two years before for the Valley and Butte fires, I think it was maybe around 2,000 homes. So, you know, the the uh, government was able to roll out this debris program for the North Bay that was about five to 6,000 homes. We're talking in the campfire of 18,000 structures, over 13,000 homes. I mean, um, I don't think we would have imagined that a year before. So thankfully, we had the experience that we just went through with, with North Bay, but but that's not to say that the campfire uh, was the same. I mean, there are unique um, challenges to that as well. And of course, we're talking about a much larger scale. Were we including the trees, the biomass or whatever that term is? Yeah, not yet. That's that's the next- That's, that's a the next, whole nother right. thing to deal with. That's correct. And and we're, you know, that's really a, a, a new sort of project at that scale. So when we're talking about debris, um, up until now, we're talking about the structural debris, removing the the burnt homes and whatever remnants there are. Wow, that's whew, this yeah, is huge. It is. So now you're dealing with the contracts uh, for all of these. So we're also talking about all the the subcontractors and all those folks who are involved in the project. Uh, PG&E, I would assume is is are they part of that whole process too? No, they. No? So PG&E, I I know they did their own um, okay. removal right after the campfire, and they're they're independent from us. Okay. Really, the way that that it'll work is. Um, you know, and this this all comes under the construct of the Emergency Services Act, which again is an extremely powerful set of laws. Um, but within that, the the director of Cal OES is authorized to task or mission task other agencies to perform certain tasks relative to the to the event. And so, uh, in this instance, when we do debris removal, the director will task Cal Recycle uh, to be the operational arm of the state to to execute the debris removal contracts and then to to um, help remove that debris. So um, so that's what we're talking about there. Now, when we shift to the trees, it's a it's a, a new contract doing uh, that specific type of work with a new incident command structure. I see. What about dealing with uh, other agencies uh, outside of the state, federal, for example, or local? Do you, does legal have much to do with that as well? We do. Uh, during the North Bay response, or you know, immediate aftermath of that uh, event, we convened almost, I think, daily calls and it gradually went to maybe twice a week with all the uh, counsel from the various agencies. So FEMA was on and then US EPA and then county council or city attorneys from 
uh, all of those impact the counties and, and the city of Santa Rosa. Um, and we had standing calls to to triage together and navigate through any issues that we might um, you know encounter. And that was specifically uh, challenging for the debris. We wanted to make sure that all the counties enacted ordinances in a consistent manner and um, did public outreach in a consistent manner, right? Because the idea is that it's an it's a large scale operation and everybody has to be in sync. When we went to the campfire, uh, there are less jurisdictions impacted. We have the town of Paradise and then the, the county of Butte. But uh, we're in constant communication with with those uh, attorneys as well and help them navigate issues so that they can advise their uh, respective clients as well. What would be the ramifications if legal didn't do their job? If for some reason everyone in legal got sick, had to go to the hospital, there was no one to, to look at the legal aspects, what would be the worst case scenario? We'll get the answer to that question in just a minute. Well, how about his short answer? As an attorney, you issue spot, you navigate, you problem solve. These are all the things you do. And so it's hard to fathom the specific thing that could happen um, other than it would give me major heartburn to even think about. <laughs> the campfire created a whole host of recovery challenges. And Alex's legal team was working on multifaceted solutions almost immediately. You've got to get the, the local economy back, but you have got to get a sense of normalcy to families and you've got to get students in, in seats. Okay, back to that question for Alex. What would be the ramifications if legal didn't do their job? If for some reason everyone in legal got sick, had to go to the hospital, there was no one to, to look at the legal aspects, what would be the worst case scenario? Yeah, I, you know, I mean, it, it's tricky because, um, you know, as attorneys, our goal is to provide counsel. And so um, I'd like to think that that the agency benefits from our counsel. So mm. if you have a client, Calaways, that, that operates without the counsel of, of, of its attorneys, um, you, you, can, you can miss issues, you can, you know, as an attorney, you issue spot, you navigate, you problem solve. These are all the things you do. And so it's hard to fathom the specific thing that could happen um, other than it would give me major heartburn to even think about <laughs> yeah, right, right, <laughs> not right. being involved in a, uh, yeah. in a decision that, that uh, is uh, in a disaster. But um, yeah, I mean, you could, you know, potentially not provide the relief uh, in an executive order that we're recommending, you know, through uh, coordination with other agencies, um, you know, missing a, a, a potential... Um, waiver or or not uh, thinking through consequences of not having a thoroughly developed right of entry or yeah. a, I think to me it's more about not fulfilling the mission and, and potentially uh, not you know providing the relief that's needed um, that's my focus now granted at any time we we um, provide counsel it's in the context of what the risk is what the risks are and and but to me I think the mission is too important I, I tell my my team that and and when I do presentations, it's all about making sure that we fulfill that mission and ensuring safe California. That that's it. And so, I play a specific role in doing that. But I, I'm a piece of that puzzle, and that puzzle ultimately, in its entirety, is to fulfill OES's mission. Mm -hmm. It sounds cheesy, but I, but I, I totally buy into it. Absolutely. And when I worked in television news, uh, we worked uh, because I worked for one of the the network owned stations. We dealt directly with our attorneys. Um, every investigation that we pursued. Uh, we dealt directly with the attorneys, and some of my younger producers hated that. And I said, listen, their job is not to prevent you from doing your job. Their job is to enable you to do your job in such a way that you're doing it correctly. Right. And that's, in a way, what you're doing. Absolutely. You, you know, uh, when we've got a, a room here in the Joint Information Center full of PIOs from other areas, and we're working on FAQs to put on a website, and the FAQs come back and forth, back and forth. I don't know how many times they went back and forth for the website with you guys. But the wording is important. Yeah. And a lot of them were frustrated. Like, well, why can't they just get it up there? Well, because this is going to live indefinitely. 
yeah, on abs- that website and it has to be right. Absolutely. Words matter. And, um, and yeah, it's gotta be right. You know, we don't, I, I get it, get it right. Not quick, obviously quick and right is the best, but, mm-hmm. um, but we don't want to put bad info out there. And so, um, it's, it's obviously important that we get it right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Any other insight would you uh, like to share about the world of legal? Yeah. You know, it's, it's just that no two days are alike. And, uh, I think some people would love that and some people would hate that. And I'm a guy that I, I roll with the punches. I love that, that change that's sort of always on the edge of your seat. It's my personality. I'm not a guy that would sit back and, and, uh, just process paperwork, uh, right. for eight hours straight. That's just right. not my, my style. And, and the team that, that we've built here together, um, they're the same way. They, they like, uh, the, the dynamic nature. They're warriors. Of yeah. You know, and it, it's, it's, a it's a beast, right? It's a unique, it's a really unique sort of job and, yeah. um, it's not for everybody. Uh, and we recognize that. Do you ever get to go out to the, the scenes of some of these disasters? Yeah, I've, I've gone to a, a few. So I, I went to Montecito shortly after that, uh, that event and a couple of the smaller fires, but for the campfire, I flew out. It was a Thursday fire. I was out there Saturday, uh, with the director and a couple other folks and met with the county council and, mm. and, um, and some others. And so, um, that was the soonest in time to a disaster that I've been to. And, um, it was, uh, you know, when I talk about, um, you know, you defer to the folks that have seen it all. And, um, uh, when you hear Mark Gillarducci say, this is bad, you know, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of fires. This is a bad one. You, you really take that to heart. And so seeing that in person on the ground, uh, literally hours after the, the fire hit is, um, uh, is, is definitely something I'll remember. It's an awakening, isn't it? Oh, it is. I mean, it, you know, it, even pictures don't really tell the story because you don't you don't get that smell and that 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 feeling. But there were I mean just to see the cars and the and the power lines and the homes down and the just chimneys um, standing in all these neighborhoods. It's really almost a, a haunting feeling. How did that impact, if at all, the work you do? I always tell my team, and I truly believe this, that you have to keep the the mission in mind with what we do, right? There's a purpose for our job, and and while it can be stressful or seem maybe um, uh, difficult. It's it's a really important work, and when you see communities like that, the the whole purpose of what we do is to ensure that communities uh, are able to rebuild and rebound and do it quickly. So, seeing a community like that and knowing that, you know, we're at the front end, we're about to put in a whole lot of work, which we did, um, but there's a, there's a there's a goal to it. There's a reason you're doing it. Um, and I, you know, there's another thing that I I might want to mention here is uh, when we talk about executive orders and no two events are alike. We did something, uh, we collectively, the state, uh, um, uh, did something right after that, that event that I, we had not done before. And that was towards the end of November of 18, the governor issued an executive order specific to schools. And that's because there was unprecedented impact to the schools in this, right? This entire district was wiped out. Mm-hmm. Thousands of students were now out of class. And the community's got to rebound. Um, you've got to get the, the local economy back, but you have got to get a sense of normalcy to families and you've got to get students in, in seats. And so we worked with the school district and the department of education and we're able to put together a comprehensive executive order that allowed, st- ultimately uh, once issued, allowed students to get back into school very quickly and go through the, uh, you know, their school year and actually finish that year. And if you think about it, if you can't have school students displaced for months, um, without, without a school to go to. So why does it require legal to make that happen? Sure. So there could be laws that prohibit the plate, the, you know, certain buildings from serving as, as classrooms. And in this instance, uh, we had to get creative and figure out what vacant facilities that have infrastructure going into them could serve the purpose for the mm-hmm. school year. And, um, it's thinking outside the box and, um, even allowing, you know, local 
uh, governing bodies to operate outside the jurisdictional limits, oh. things like that, where you can you can issue waivers uh, or or look at laws and recommend that the governor issue waivers that would facilitate um, that recovery. And so this comprehensive executive order did just that, and oh, and students were back in, and and it was a you know at least some sort of sense of normalcy, yeah. right? That continuity for students right. important, yeah. Anything else you wanna you wanna talk about? No, I you know I obviously appreciate the time. I could talk about this stuff. I don't know if it's because I love the job or I'm a guy from Jersey who likes to talk, but um, I, I truly have a passion for this stuff, and I, I think it's it's great work that OES does, and I'm so proud to work for for this organization. Well, and we're we're happy that you have the passion because without that passion, we wouldn't have the effectiveness, and um, you wouldn't have the team that you have. So uh, yeah. from all of us, thank you for that, Alex Powell, who is chief counsel. Uh, here at Cal OES, and we couldn't do it without him. Alex, thanks a lot. Thanks for having Appreciate me. Appreciate it. You Thank bet. you. Okay, so Alex Powell is like most of the staff here at Cal OES, very proud to be part of this dedicated, professional, and yes, caring team. It certainly is rewarding to help people in times of crisis and need. Thank you, Alex, for your time and effort to help shed a little more light on what you and your team of Legal Eagles do when disaster strikes California. Much appreciated. And my thanks and appreciation to you as well for listening and subscribing to All Hazards. If you haven't, we'd sure like you to. Subscribe at any of your favorite podcast platforms, probably the one you're listening to us right now on. If you have any questions, comments, ideas, anything, email us at questions at caloes.ca.gov. One more time, questions at caloes.ca.gov. Hey, for everyone in our Office of Public Information here at Cal OES, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe, folks. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.